today we're going to continue on in parables. Uh, these stories of Jesus that he throws out there for us to engage, for it to kind of examine us. Uh, several years ago, Richard Dawkins, he's a famous atheist, he's an Englishman, he's a biologist, uh, he's just like you would expect an English atheist to be, but he looked at the figures and the data on Christianity in Europe, and, and a lot of people at the time were in his camp of atheism were really excited. They're like, we should throw a party over this stuff. And Richard Dawkins says, we shouldn't celebrate the death of a relatively benign religion. Uh, he said that, and at first, you know, you might think, oh, that's nice. He doesn't want to celebrate the death of Christianity in Europe. But then he goes on to point out that Christians are so inconsequential, that the faith is just so fetal, uh, futile, uh, that he doesn't even meet Christians in daily life unless he's debating them. Uh, four years ago, when, the, these was, when he was processing these stats, it was that less than 14% of the people in the United Kingdom believed in Jesus and were Christians. Uh, more than two-thirds of the people in that same uh, survey, that same census, revealed that uh, more than two-thirds of people said they had never prayed in their life. Uh, at that time, many sociologists, they weren't you know, focused on how a pandemic will disrupt us. They were focused on this. But the sociologists, they looked to the United States, particularly our coasts, and our cities, and they said, hey, those places are really not that far behind that reality, where Christianity is a benign religion that's inconsequential. Uh, when I visit other parts of our great nation, uh, people will look at me concerningly, and they'll say things like, I'm really glad you're out there in Los Angeles, but don't you think Christianity just won't work there? Uh, others kind of give advice, or maybe it's prophetic, I don't think so, but they'll say, I guess what you can do is, is keep a nice remnant of people who still believe and give them a place where they can do that. Uh, all in all, the basic prevailing sentiment of all of these things is that the movement of Jesus, that his grace, his gospel, the, the message of salvation from sin and death, that that cannot thrive in a city like ours. That revival, that rebirth of faith, that joy and hope, that's not possible here and now. After all, many people who look at these studies, they point out that Christianity has never, ever experienced a revival or a growth in a nation where it used to be present, but is now in rapid decline. It's just unprecedented. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, he talks about this, uh, this unprecedented nature of revival in a place like ours in this way. He says there's never been, uh, up until the 1900s, there had never been a fast-growing revival in a, in a non-Western pre-Christian country. At that time, before the 1900s, they said, that's just a Western religion. They said that until there was the Korean Presbyterian revival in 1907, in which millions of people came to faith. And they were even still saying that until the East African revival happened in the 1930s, when again, millions of people across countries came to faith. There was never a re renewal movement among monks until there was. There was never a great awakening or anything like a great awakening until there was. There was never a reformation until there was. And then Tim Keller, he says, there has never been a fast-growing revival in a post-Christian secular society. But every great thing is unprecedented until it happens. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there is no, and I believe this, and I think you do too, some of you who said amen, that there is no uh, expiration date to that promise. Jesus didn't say, oh, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church and I will build it up until around 2000 or so. He said no. And church, I fundamentally believe and I hope you do too, that the kingdom of God is not uh, at our city gates waiting to come in, but the city, this city, the city of Los Angeles has the kingdom of God within it, and that the kingdom is advancing here in our city, Los Angeles, that the kingdom is still coming and advancing in this place, in this moment. Why so confident when everything else seems bleak? Because the one whose death brought forgiveness of sins on the cross, he said that that kingdom is here. The one whose resurrection broke the chains of all evil, he said that the kingdom is happening now. Uh, The one who ascended and gave the Holy Spirit to women and men on the day of Pentecost, he said the kingdom will definitely happen. And so what are we doing here as a people, as a church? Like, what is this all about? We are people of great expectation, not like the the other British guy, uh, Charles Dickens. We're people of true great expectations, of a revival of souls, of a transformation of heart. We anticipate as a church, like any other church, that the kingdom is here, that we are even now witnessing that Jesus is alive and working within our lives today in this moment. And so make no mistake that Christ has risen and that the one who rose started a church. He's risen indeed. She's ready already. You don't need Lent. You're ready already. That his church that he started is more than just an inconsequential group of people that huddled together on Sundays. But his church is a movement spread across uh, all industries and society and education, all of that, that his church is everywhere. And that we as a people participate in his mission that is guaranteed to transform. That's what we participate in. That's pretty great. We believe that Jesus' desires for this world, his kingdom, uh, his desires for humanity is already here and it is coming and it will come. And I believe that that is the case because Jesus says so and he says so in today's parable. That's my big intro. In uh, Luke chapter 13, uh, we're going to pick up right after the the parable of the mustard seed. In, In Luke chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, he says this. Again, he asked, that's Jesus, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. The end. God's word. Jesus' parable. It's pretty great. It's so short I can read it again. What shall we compare the kingdom of God to? What's it like? Jesus says, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Now, in those days, homes were essentially just sleeping quarters, just a bedroom. Uh, In fact, the average home size was, was 15 square feet. Not 1,500 square feet, uh, 15 square feet. 
basically the size of some of your bathrooms, some of your bedrooms. Like that was the whole house. And the reason it was that case is that they would line these homes up in really kind of circular fashion to create a neighborhood where in the center there would be a deep well and a a big stove where they would do all the cooking and all of the essentials of life together as a community. That's where they shared kind of everything. That's where they would gather the grapes together and press them and make wine because wine is needed for living. That's where they would bake bread. That's where they would pull water out. That's where they would wash clothes. It was all there, a true community, a true neighborhood. And what Jesus tells in this parable would have been an image that would have been deeply ingrained and familiar with everyone. That's why it's so short. Just mentioning it uh, would have brought to them tons of memories of childhood and adulthood. Uh, Maybe that day they had already eaten some fresh baked bread, or maybe they had seen this happening earlier. Maybe it was happening in front of them as he said this parable, but it's the image of their mothers and their fathers, their grandmothers, their aunts, their uncles, all working together, creating bread, because that was a communal exercise. What would happen is that they would take uh, a raising yeast Uh, that they would call fermented dough. We've had fermented dough. Who here made sourdough bread in the year of our Lord 2020? Okay, there's several of you. All right, so in the year of our Lord 2020, we all realized that we had nothing to do except go way, way back and make some stuff. What he's describing here is that exact same process. They didn't have instant fast-rising yeast. What they had was this dough, like a starter, that had within it this whole chemical thing going on where it's exploding bubbles, and basically if you left it, it become alcohol. But what it's doing is it's, it's a powerful element that if you weave it into, press it into, knead it into these dry ingredients and add some water, over and over again, you would press it into making a big loaf of dough or many, many loaves of bread, right? Anybody do that? Yeah? Sarah did? Is that, is that how it works? That's basically the recipe, right? You try to get clever and you throw olives and stuff in there, but really, all it is is this starter or fermented dough or leaven, uh, if you want to get a real biblical word, uh, mixed into dough. And in this story, he says that there's a woman out there in the center courtyard, and she's mixing 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot, right? And she had to have, along with probably many other people, uh, they were making bread for the whole of the neighborhood. This was bread for the weak. This was also survival for everyone. And what they, the story is that I love about it is that it comes with a smell. It comes with a taste. Like you've broken some bread before, right? You've dipped it into some olive oil. You've seen a fresh baked loaf come out of the oven. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like yeast that is pressed into all of these dry ingredients until it becomes dough, until flour, water, and yeast becomes indistinguishable, becomes this elastic thing, the substance of life. Without bread, there's really nothing, right? I mean, I believe that wholeheartedly. Maybe you believe in something else, gluten-free or something. But even gluten-free people make their own bread because it's so good, right? And what would happen after they would, they would do all of this, it was still just dough and not bread. And so they would wait until that dough grew and grew. 
until each loaf that they kind of laid out got big enough. And then they'd place each loaf on this hot, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that was the wrong way, uh, until it was laid on this hot stove above the fire, and then that bread would bake, and it would fill the nostrils of an entire community, and then they would know the 60 pounds of dry ingredients had become bread. And Jesus says to those people who are doubting the presence of God, and if it will come, and if it will grow, or what is happening, he says that the kingdom of God is like this, a little bit of fermented dough pressed into dry flour. It's the thing, the kingdom is the king kneaded into the hole. It's pressed into all the dry places until it's indistinguishable, until it begins to rise and feed many, many people. Now, I just want to stop because I've just explained the parable, and maybe you already understood it on its second reading. But I want to just pause and ask this question. How do you think that that relates to the kingdom of God coming in this city or in your neighborhood? What connections do you see? Uh, What insights do you have about the kingdom of God in your place that God has sent you? We're supposed to spread out and multiply. We're supposed to spread out and multiply? Yeah. I love it. Sadly, it's not instant. It's not instant. Yeah. It's not the story of a bread machine. Yeah. You have to work the word of God into the populace around you. It takes time in its mainstay. Yeah. And the word has to be worked in and spread around the whole of which means. 60 pounds is a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And it would take a lot of time. And it's kind of even painful, consistent work. Yeah, I don't have the patience for it when we're doing that in COVID. It's like, I folded it twice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, super unseen. You don't know how it's working, and then finally it starts to to build, and you just see signs of it, but you don't really see the thing itself. Yeah. Go for it. Like whenever I've used yeast, which I'm horrible at, I think it smells weird and looks kind of odd, and it's really different from the other ingredients that feel a lot more normal. Mm. I imagine being the flower, I would be like, why are you rubbing this like weird smelling bubble thing into me? Yeah. Like it just doesn't seem to fit together, and yet all of a sudden, like, through this work of God, it, it fits together. That's right. It's kind of gross and odd-looking. And then it... And we don't fit in. Right? Don't fit in. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets pressed into the hole. Right. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, 
It's, total, it's this complete labor-intensive service. It's even a little complex. Someone has to have their eyes watching it, attentive to what's happening. I wish there was a parable about smoking meats because that's, I could relate to it more. But it's like that, where you, have to, you, can't, you don't just put something like the loaf and then walk away, right? You have to watch what's happening. You have to be attentive. It, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. The yeast is alive. And it's eating the wheat, which is technically dead. <laughs> that death, it creates new life. Whoa. It expands and consumes all of it. And then you take a portion and plant that in some other place where there's an accumulation of death, and it will transform it into life, and that'll grow, and you can take chunks and spread out. And, like, and it's eternal. Yeah. As long as it's being fed. Taking dead things, making it living things. The yeast is the only thing that's alive. That's 100% true. And you can take a lop of it. I think they call that friendship bread for a second before we got awakened to calling things sourdough. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, one thing I noticed is just use it in everyday things. Mm. That's like, you would almost probably feel the monotonous and mundane. Like, so that's like really cool. So, like, do this whole thing. <laughs> It might have been like doing laundry and Totally. You know, so it's like the kingdom is in those things. You do something very monotonous and very everyday ordinary. Absolutely. Yeah, this would have just been the chore. Just been like your every your every Monday kind of thing. Exactly. And maybe for us, it, yeah, it would be more like laundry. The kingdom of God is a drop of detergent that you put in and it washes the whole load. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, any other insights about what this might mean in your neighborhood or in this city, this parable? That's right, yeah, if you put just, yeah, you can't bake bread by just having a bowl of flour and then throwing in a lop of the starter or the fermented dough and just be like, let's put it in the oven. Yeah, it has to be spread out. It has to be scattered and kneaded through the whole thing. Yeah, go Casey. I think too, maybe like part of it is the way that God has made us to live is infectious, right? Like, it's kind of dumb, but every time I read about leaven, I think about like somebody being in like the Starbucks drive-through line, and they decide they're gonna pay for the person behind them, mm. and then it like it's a chain reaction. Mm. That's kind of what leaven is. It's a chain reaction. It's happening organically, but it's almost like by brushing up against the kingdom, by experiencing even just a small act of generosity, and it's like the next person ends up paying. You Yeah, he, and it keeps this chain reaction component that it's going to, like the way the kingdom truly does work is our hearts are changed and then it changes somebody else's heart because we engage their life and serve them, care for them, and then it, it continues to change and change. Yeah, Nora, you can be the last, last one. I think that's 
Nice. <laughs> yes, it exactly. It's, it's this thing that we get to enjoy. That the kingdom of God brings joy and brings life. It's not a parable about how hard things are, right? It's the thing that brings life. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the main things that I see and that we mentioned as well is that uh, the kingdom is this unseen thing that transforms uh, the world from within. Uh, you can't see the yeast once you mix it in. You can only see the effects of it as air fills the dough, as it rises, as it grows. Jesus seems to be about a kingdom that causes growth out of unseen or insignificant things, uh, he, that he transforms people from within, uh, that he quietly, consistently grows our faith, that he quietly and he consistently grows uh, the faith, right? And we might ask, where is the kingdom of God actually? If the kingdom has come here into this city, where is it? And, and I think maybe sometimes we're looking for the kingdom in the finished loaf straight out of the oven. When Jesus says the kingdom is in the yeast, uh, it's in the small, insignificant things that probably nobody else is even seeing or watching. I think the kingdom of God is in the Zoom call that you have with your bosses where you are just bringing compassion and light into a situation that seems so stale and so uh, plastic, literally, as you're looking at just a piece of plastic. Uh, the kingdom of God in our city, I think, is in a classroom where people are learning and where we're engaging and we're also learning too. But we're learning with this purpose of what I'm taking in is not just information, but it's, it's God's knowledge actually being poured into me so that I might take it, apply it to the world with wisdom and see something transformed. Uh, that the kingdom of God comes in the boardroom where maybe there's not even a lot of people in there, yet you are building a company that makes a difference. Uh, the kingdom of God is at the underpass. Uh, the kingdom of God is at the table with your neighbors. The, the kingdom of God is at a screening in this dark room where art is being made. Uh, the kingdom of God is in a stroller with a child that doesn't even know how to talk. The kingdom of God is advancing and coming. It's in the hospital. It's in the doctor's office. It's there. And this is how that little yeast and that little leaven transforms the whole thing. Uh, the kingdom advances through all of us in those small moments that we're just trying to get through. Uh, Desmond Tutu said something uh, not as good as what Casey said, but really similar to what Casey said. He, and he was talking about how the world is transformed through Jesus. He says, you do your little bit of good where you are, the things that God's called you to. You do that little bit of good. And it's in those little bits of good put together with the rest of us that overwhelms the world. All of us taking the kingdom of God, taking the gospel, living with an intentional focus on him and his mission transforms and overwhelms the world. The other thing that I find really fascinating about this story is that once the yeast is put into the dough, there's no stopping it. Like you can't back out. The kingdom is underway at that moment. Uh, the parable is saying that, uh, that, that the yeast and the loaf become indistinguishable. You can't pull out the yeast anymore. It's like a rocket that's left the launch pad. You can't put the brakes on 100 feet in the air and be like, all right, bring it back down. I don't think so, right? Thank you. Thanks, rocks, rocket scientists. 
I should have written you before. Uh, there are no breaks. The rocket's going into orbit, right? And see, I think sometimes we as Christians get confused. I think that we believe that we are underdogs in this world. That we're like the no-name people who are on the, that have to be real scrappy, that we don't have much resource, that we don't have much potential in winning, that's of seeing the kingdom, of seeing this grand uh, work of God in our world. We think that it's really bleak, like very unlikely. But what Jesus is talking about is that the yeast put into the dough, it wins. It will eat up all of the dry ingredients and it will grow and rise. No, this, this, we have been given, we're not underdogs, we've been given the spirit of the living God who raises dead things to life. The kingdom isn't a hope that we might see manifested. The kingdom of God is guaranteed. It's like fermented dough pressed into flour. It will rise just as Jesus has risen us. I love uh, Celebration Sundays because we all get to hear what Jesus is doing through all of our lives. Uh, We get to see the kingdom of God is actually coming advancing. I think from my perspective as one of the leaders in this church, I get to see things over years and years that a little bit of the kingdom cannot be stopped. That marriages that are broken or dry or struggling, just a tiny bit of Jesus' grace put into it, just a little bit of the love of Jesus put into that marriage, watches the whole thing transformed right before our eyes over years. I see people that are discontent or discouraged or just struggling to get through life. And just a little bit of the hope of the kingdom of God begins over time to transform that person from the inside out. I see us as a people of grief who lose things, lose jobs, lose people that we love, that just a little bit of the transcendent God being close to us begins to work itself through and we become people that grieve with hope, but even grieve more honestly, knowing that we've lost something of great value. We might also look around and we might say, we're pretty small at the end of a dark alley that's dirty and dusty. What's what's God really going to do with us? I think this parable is for us in that way. The kingdom of God is within us, working through us. God is also pushing us and mixing us through this entire city. It's one of the great privileges that that we have as a church. If we just walked walked through the room and maybe at lunch you can just ask people, where is God actually sending you Monday through Friday? And what the answers are astonishing It's as if Jesus has this master plan of putting us in every corner of the city. And I think he's doing it. It's pretty remarkable. And so I want us to be filled with this great expectation that the kingdom uh, might come and might do something through us. Uh, And I want us to see and notice the kingdom grow and nourish other people around us. And I think if we we intentionally uh, engage the kingdom of God, our lives as yeast and dry ingredients will be brought back here month after month uh, with thanksgiving. We'll be so excited. We'll be celebrating, not that the kingdom will come one day, but that we've seen the kingdom come just in this last week, in this last month. And the reason I hope for that, to intentionally pursue the kingdom, is because it's deeply needed. 
The, the hope and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, is deeply needed here. Jesus is needed. Maya Angelou, uh, the great American writer, she, she wrote this in her book, uh, the, Why the Caged Bird Sings. She says this, she says, of all the needs, and there are none imaginary a lonely ch- that a lonely child has, the one that must be satisfied if there's going to be hope and a hope of wholeness is the unshaking need for an unshakable God. If there's going to be hope and a hope for wholeness, it is that we need the unshakable God in our lives. We are in need of the kingdom of God. The world is in need of the kingdom of God, which is, I think, what motivates God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him doesn't die but has abundant life, right? Jesus describes himself as the bread of life over and over again. Twice, Jesus performs these amazing, kind of astonishing mystifying miracles where he takes just a few loaves of bread, breaks them up, thanks God for them, and then it feeds thousands and thousands of people until they're overwhelmingly satisfied. So much so that there's baskets and baskets of leftovers. That he multiplied the bread so much so that everyone was satisfied. Baskets of leftovers conveying this basic truth that Jesus satisfies our need the unshakable God making himself present. And each of those occasions when he does these miracles, he has a conversation with the disciples afterwards. And, there are just, and he explains to each of them why their bellies are so full that he will meet their deepest desires. And he tells them, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will be satisfied forever. Jesus at the Passover meal, the last meal that he has with his disciples before his death, he he takes the bread at the very beginning of the meal and he says, this is my body given for you. And they all take and eat. The next day, Jesus gives his entire self, all that he can give, his emotional power, his uh, mental power, his physical self, he gives it all so that we might be unified with him in freedom from sin and death and evil. Jesus is the daily bread that nourishes us while we live in the wastelands of this world. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. Praise God that his kingdom is here. Praise God that his kingdom is advancing, that it will come. That this faith that you're giving your life to is not a benign religion, but is the waking of dry, dead things to life. Jesus is the daily bread that will nourish you. He satisfies. He satisfies. In a city that is never, ever satisfied, Jesus says, you can have it with me. In a heart that's always discontent, Jesus satisfies. In a mind that's always filled with guilt, Jesus satisfies. In a soul that's filled with shame, Jesus says, this is my body given for you, and he has. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the beauty and the majesty of the cross that you are worthy to be praised. 
because these parables take root in your life, uh, in your death, in your resurrection. Uh, That because you took on sin and death and evil and rose from the dead, we get a satisfying, beautiful story that your kingdom is advancing and moving. I pray for many people in this city to come and to participate in your work and your life, that they would know your, your hope, that they would be satisfied, that they would be at rest, that they would have peace. Jesus, as we come and as we take communion, I also ask that we will be able to, uh, to know and to trust that, uh, to confess the ways in which we do not look to your kingdom, that we do not trust that it is coming, but then also as we take and eat, have confidence that it is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.